Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Chris Mannix coming up here momentarily. Want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. That's Action Plumbing. Uh, We'll get Chris's thoughts on not only the docuseries, Gordon, but the big jazz news of the day. Walt Perrin leaving to be the assistant GM uh, of the Knicks and Boyan Bogdanovich having season-ending surgery today. In fact, let's uh, not uh, waste any more time. Let's get to it. Hit it, Austin. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist, featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability from Sports Illustrated. He's our good friend, Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. How are you this fine Monday? What's going on, guys? Hey, Chris, we were just talking about the Jazz news today. Let's start with uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. He uh, undergoes season-ending wrist surgery. If uh, the season is to return, he will not be a part of it. Uh, that hurts the Jazz a lot, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty devastating. You're talking about a guy that was I mean, instrumentally involved in what they did offensively, and you can certainly say that probably takes the Jazz out of whatever contention, title contention, whatever they want to call, whatever the NBA comes back at, uh, because he was so valuable. But uh, it just kind of sort of reinforces a point I was hearing and have been hearing from other general managers that, you know, when whenever the NBA comes back, it's it's just not a resumption of the season. It's it's a new thing. You know, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's not a continuation of what the league left behind in mid-March. There's just been too many changes and – and too much has has just gone all over the place to come back and call it a continuation. Uh, it's you know they'll they'll probably call whatever happens a championship or a champion, but it just uh, it's just not going to be the same thing. Chris, uh, okay, two different uh, issues here. One is it looks like the NBA is lurching toward uh, having something, whatever you want to call it. My question to you is, do you think they should? Because you've been about as cautious as anybody we've talked to, and I think responsibly so, about moving forward the right way. Do you think this is the right thing, the right way, the right time? I mean, look, if you look at it through just the eyes of the medical community or the science community, no, they shouldn't have it. I mean, there's just it just seems highly unlikely that – we're going to be at a point where we can guarantee safety of players, staffers, older members of the coaching staff uh, by the time this thing ramps up in in the middle of the summer. Um, it, there certainly will be improvements. Obviously, testing gets better by the week. But, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, it's a safer situation coming back in November, December 
than it is coming back in, in June or July. But the reality is the NBA can't look through that lens. I mean, they, they're a business, and it, it would cost them an enormous amount of money in the long term if they don't come back with some type of postseason that satisfies the agreements they have with the broadcast networks because that really is the only significant source of income that they have coming in, that broadcast revenue. So, you know, look, I mean, the short answer is no, they shouldn't come back, but it just isn't that simple. They're going to have to come back uh, to, 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 to really do, salvage some kind of financial success of this season. Chris, the other big news in Jazz World today, Vice President of Player Personnel Walt Perrin is uh, leaving to take an assistant GM job with the Knicks. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, with Walt. He's a, he's a great guy and has been a mainstay around here mm-hmm. for 20 years. But talk about what the Knicks are doing putting together their front office. Well, they're, they're doing smart things. You know, when you look at – I mean, if you have a team like the Jazz who have one of the deepest – you know, rosters of front office talent of any team in the league with, you know, Justin and David, you know, right behind Dennis Lindsay at the top, uh, you're going to lose guys. I mean, the Spurs lost guys for years. Dennis Lindsay was one of those guys that, that they lost. So when you establish a, a deep bench uh, in your front office, you're going to, you know, lose top guys. And, and Walt was one of those guys. He's, as you mentioned, the experience he has has been intimately involved in, in many of the things they've done in Utah over the years, the successful things they've done specifically, you know, when it comes to drafting players and developing young talent. And that's what the Knicks need. You know, and the Knicks are basically one step above a college team right now in terms of the average age of a Jirosh. They'll have another lottery pick coming in whenever next season starts. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a smart hire for Leon Rose, who has no experience whatsoever as a top uh, basketball executive or as any basketball executive, to hire someone like Walt Perrin with the kind of uh, experience he has on the job. How did you feel, Chris, about the way the Jordan docuseries uh, wrapped up last night? Uh, and, and let me ask it this way. Does your sense of journalism sort of pain you a little bit as far as the way these things are presented, uh, mostly in favor of the subject at hand? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not it's not a documentary. I mean, it's it's entertainment. Um, and I don't say that you know negatively, like at all. I mean, I think it's brilliant. Like it's it's wildly entertaining. It's incredibly insightful at times with the access you get to Jordan and, you know, some of the things that, that you hear from him, but it's not meant to be an unvarnished truth. It's, it's supposed to be subjective. I mean, I wrote today that I thought the representation of Jerry Krause over 10 episodes was downright cruel at times. I mean, you know, if there are many people that watch that documentary that, you know, knew very little or nothing at all of, of the Jordan years and, and what went into them. And they probably came away from that thinking Jerry Krause was, was a caretaker when that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, Jerry Krause had one of the great drafts in NBA history when he came away with Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. Jerry Krause traded Bill Cartwright, or traded uh, for Bill Cartwright, which helped them win three championships. He got, I mean, he got killed for drafting Tony Kukoc, but it's not a general manager's job to, you know, kind of just go along for the ride with the Ross. You need to be thinking about what the Ross looks like down the line. You need to find replacements. Uh, for guys, and Kukoc was instrumental in the success in the back half of those championship years. So, I just uh, I thought that that was a little um, little unfair uh, to Krause. But again, as I as I watch, I remind myself it's not look, this is a Michael Jordan production in a, in a lot of ways. So it's it's done through the eyes of Jordan. So when Jordan tells you he had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas 
not being on that team, which any objective journal of the 92 Dream Team, which any objective journalist tell you is just not true, you understand that. I mean, I thought the the pizza story in Utah was that was a new one. Like, uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna change it from the flu game to the pizza game, and you're asking us to believe that five guys from a pizza place showed up at your room because what did you say delivered to Michael Jordan that night? I mean, I there's some I would just would like seeing the pushback on some of the the tales Jordan told because some of them felt pretty tall to me. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, uh, I know you've been to Salt Lake uh, a few times. You enjoy Park City. I even bumped into you at a, a jazz game a couple of yeah. years ago, and I just wanted to congratulate you visiting our town and getting out of here without being poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, like, it just, that was wild. Like, and I feel like and I, I, I've, I've interviewed Tim Grover a number of different times. He's never told that. Like, I mean, I, I don't, and that's not even like this, this, He's never told it to me anyway. That's not even a really some kind of sorted story. It, it's pizza. Like you're you're not going to tell that story because because why? And look, it, it lends credibility to the fact that maybe he was drunk before. Because I know whenever I'm drunk, I order pizzas and eat the whole thing by myself. Like that's, <laughs> that's kind of I mean that's sort of par for the course there. So it just it didn't really close the book on anything for me. That was that was a wild one. It's like it was the pizza. I mean, it was the pizza, and he's. Five guys like delivered to room like 1702 at the Marriott, last name George. I mean, what, what are you doing? Like every NBA player even back then, went, went with a pseudonym. Like even nowadays, like you know, you're more likely to identify like Barney Rubble at a hotel than LeBron James. Like it just, you, you, like it just, it's it's it strange credulity that that was the reason that Michael Jordan was sick. I'm not saying he went to like. There's a lot of tales he went to Vegas and partied, and and certainly people might believe that now more based on the Atlantic City story we heard early in the doc series. But, I mean, that that was just that was a little bonkers to me. See, now, Chris, this is the reason we have you on and why our listeners love you so much is for that kind of insight about <laughs> drinking first and then eating a whole pizza by yourself. We, we, I, can't, we, I probably did that last month. I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> God knows. Like, you, you have a few beers, all of a sudden, Domino's on the speed dial. It's, 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 I don't know. It's like, that was a wild one. We were laughing about that earlier, saying, man, somebody must have known just the right amount of poison to put on that pizza, because you don't want to... That's, that's, you don't that's wanna, the other you, part of it. You don't want to yeah. kill him, right? You just want to make him... <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other part of it. Like, there, there, there are these five like geniuses at a pizza place working at 10.30 at night that know exactly what you put on a pie that will make Michael Jordan experience flu-like symptoms for game, what was it, five, but be fine for game six. Like, I don't know too many, and no offense to people that work at pizza place, I don't know too many chemists <laughs> that work at these pizza places that are uh, that on, on a dime, on a, on a moment's notice, not knowing Michael Jordan and his company we're going to call, can concoct something that will make him sick for 24 hours. Chris Mannix is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. One thing I took out of it that I, I found interesting about that last sequence with the Jazz in, in game number six is it was a reminder that Michael was a great athlete, but he really was very cerebral. He knew, uh, you know, Carl was going to get the ball on the block and he was in the right place to get that steal. And he knew Brian Russell and how he liked to play defense on the balls of his feet and had a tendency to overplay things. I mean, you know, we see the steal and we see the shot, but you realize that, that Michael knew the game so well. Well, he always gave himself the advantage, or that's something I took away from it anyway. Yeah, I mean, look, that and, you know, finding motivation in just the slivers of cracks. Uh, you know, Brian Russell laughing at him once 
during a, a lockout practice or a practice when he was off playing baseball to remember that years later and use that as a piece of motivation. He clearly got, you know, found ways to wind himself up that, that few other players could. But, I mean, all the great players I've ever dealt with, whether it's Kobe or Michael and now LeBron, I mean, they were all, in addition to being otherworldly physical specimens with talent that, that very few have, they are all students of the game. And they all, you know, just have this institutional knowledge and and basketball IQ that's, that's as unrivaled as their talent. So I, I've, there are very few guys, I mean, maybe you can – I mean, certainly like guys like Iverson maybe and then others that, that relied on just their raw skill and, and talent. But for the most part, the all-time greats were every bit as cerebral as they were talented. The other thing that the whole series reminded me of was how low scoring those games. I get it in playoff games, Chris, that typically the, the scoring does go down a little bit. But all the games in the 80s uh, during that series, man, yeah. it, was, it was different then. It really was. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, a decade later the NBA changed all their rules so that they had these 113-112 uh, types of games. They didn't have these slugfests. I mean, I, look, there's certainly an appeal to, to the slugfest, especially late in game, the physicality. You, you like to see guys bumping and grinding, having to adjust. But the NBA clearly understood, David Stern understood that, you know, scoring meant ratings. And and that was that was something that was – was going to have to be important for the NBA moving forward. And he was right. Like the, the NBA has experienced an incredible surge in ratings over the last couple of decades, and I don't think I think scoring is 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 a big part of that. You know, the other thing that I took away from that, and this is a Utah connection, is that you know when Stockton was on, like being interviewed, it, it looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. Like <laughs> Stockton looked like a guy that like like I, he, he looked like a guy that didn't realize what like this was going to be, and. He just kind of said, "Like, no, we weren't." You can hear his responses, like, "No, we weren't afraid of him. Why would we be afraid of him? Like, that doesn't make any sense." Like, every time he responded to a question, it looked like he he was like seconds earlier he would have had a quizzical look on his face, like, "Why are you asking me something like that?" It just looked like he just wanted to be anywhere but that spot doing that interview. Chris, you mentioned uh, Jerry Krause and how he was portrayed. Was there anybody else in the docu series you uh, thought didn't come off so well? Uh. I mean, you know, Krauss was definitely the worst. Um, you know, I, I thought they they tried to make Reinsdorf look good, but it, at times, like Reinsdorf, like it just seemed like he was he was just sort of making things up as he was going along. And even at the end, when he was saying what he was saying about why that team wasn't back, it wasn't brought back together. It looks like he was just trying to find explanations for it, but that wasn't even the documentary framing him poorly. That was just his own words, uh, you know, kind of killing him there and then locking him up. So I, I think Krauss was really the biggest, the biggest villain of it all. Again, just because it doesn't appreciate, it doesn't take into account just the, I mean, he's a hall of fame executive. I mean, how many hall of fame executives? Granted one that made an enormous amount of mistakes along the way, like many executives do. And, and certainly you can argue had some kind of Napoleon, Napoleonic complex, about you know his role you know in the success of that team, but you know, everybody else I thought was 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 okayly portrayed for the most part. You know I, I uh, have picked against Jordan before. In fact, I picked against him in '98. I should have learned my lesson. But Chris, uh, do you agree with Jordan that uh, title number seven would have been achieved if uh, if that team had been left alone? No, first of all, there was there's no chance they would have won a title because there's no chance that team would have been back together. Like, 
I mean, God love Jordan, because like he just like any great player, he thinks that like he can will something back into existence. You look at Pippen, Kerr, and Luke Longley. That off season after the lockout ended, all three players signed the longest and richest deals of their careers. You're telling me that in an age where guys weren't getting paid all that much, and we saw throughout the the series, I mean, Scottie Pippen was furious about his money over time. You're telling me they all would have taken short-term deals to come back and win a seventh championship. Like, that's not even like a double-digit thing. Like, you had to come back and win seven. Guys that have won three, or in the case of Pippen, six, they're going to come back and take less money to go for a seventh championship? That's insane. Scottie Pippen was only going to get, like, could only get, like, a one-year, like, it was $14 million deal from the Bulls. He got $80 million from the Houston Rockets. Like, that's, there's, there's no way you could have brought that team back together. And, look, even if you did, you can make the argument that they were, were, were pretty bad, you know, that they got the most out of that team. Like, Scotty went to Houston and was bad. Like, he was done there a year or two later. Dennis Rodman played 35 games the rest of his career for two teams. Um, you know, Luke Longley was banged up. He didn't last long in Phoenix when he, he went there. He was only there a couple of years. So, I, no, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly an unprovable theory, but I, I think there's no chance they would have come back and won a championship there. If, if they even got to the finals, you know, Duncan and the Spurs would have steamrolled them. Chris, as always, thank you very much. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Our friend Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated on your daily assist right here on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. He's totally right about uh, coming back for a seventh championship. Like uh, Jordan uh, talked about, oh, I would have signed a one-year deal. Well, how many? How much money did he make in that 97-98 season, Gordon? Wasn't it like $30 million bucks or something? I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. It was the other guys yeah. who were looking for that payday. Yeah, and, and he said they would all come back, and they, they wouldn't have. No. And, and, Chris and, would- Sorry, go ahead. Chris was on fire today, man. That was good stuff. That oh, was good. He's, he's the best. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Great, great work from uh, Chris Mannix. As usual, uh, we'll have that up online at 1280thezone.com. Bowler joins the show coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, so make sure and stay tuned for that. We'll have more Big Show next. We have a uh, Not Sports Board at 4.50 today. Gordon, you want to give us a tease? It's a good one. Thorough and dynamic as usual. Well, I look, I, w- I was going to roll it out there for a second, but then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because you guys will probably poo-poo it, you know. And we know uh, from uh, Tyler Huntley, I don't want anybody poo-pooing anything. All right, we'll have more straight ahead. Stay tuned. It is The Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. Gordon, I want to talk about the jazz news of the day coming up here in a second, but did you see that um, Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta and Donald Trump were... uh, 
we're together today in some sort of public setting. I, I have just seen the quotes here, so I don't know. I have not seen video of it. Have, have you? I have not, no. But get this interaction. I just, I, I mean, this doesn't really, I, I guess, matter, but it's just so weird. Like an NBA interaction with uh, with the president of the United States. Um Basically, here's what Fertitta said. He said this quote, it's been devastating. You know, it's funny you brought up uh, about China. I should have realized it was going to be a bad year for China when my general manager tweeted out, you know, freedom for Hong Kong. That started my year, which was followed by some laughter. Then Donald, uh, President Trump said, and you kept it quiet, right? And then Tillman Fertitta said, so I'm still trying to work that out. And then President Trump said uh, he owns the Houston Rockets. And by the way, he's a great guy, great family, great everything. Yeah, he did cause you a little ruckus. Whatever happened to him, by the way, is he still working for you? And Fertitta said, yes, he is. Trump then added, he must be pretty good, followed by (laughs) laughter. And then Fertitta said, it's a trick question, but he is, which is which is funny. But I mean. How often do you hear uh, an NBA owner going back and forth with the president about uh, something that was like a, a huge controversy at the time, by the way? Yeah, it was. And that's kind of weird. Trump saying, um, and you kept it quiet, right? Quiet, right? That must have been tongue in cheek. Uh, but uh, yeah, Fertitta says uh, it's a trick question. But yeah, he's he's pretty good. Well, I guess when you hobnob with the with the rich and famous and the powerful, you have those kinds of conversations. I I really they are still suffering from that. Oh yeah, it, it, it's. I don't think the Rockets could have fired Maury. I really don't. You mean just for the public relations nightmare? Yeah, right. I mean, mm-hmm. can you really fire somebody for advocating freedom and democracy? Just because it, it costs you money internationally? I mean, that that was a really bad situation. The NBA found itself in the middle of it. Uh, and, and, the, and the silence out of people like LeBron James right. and others uh, was just ridiculous. Right. Come on, you know, don't uh, – that, that is unfortunate that those guys uh, can be so outspoken about certain things, but when it's going to hit them in the pocketbook, suddenly they clam up. <clears throat> never mind, never mind. I uh, mm. <clears throat> Yeah. Let's uh, proceed. Let's play games, shall we? I mean that that whole situation was just uh, just showed the hypocrisy of of so many things. And and isn't it interesting that uh, China is now at the center of all of this? It's almost like the the NBA got a preview. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I thought I thought that was going to be the most difficult thing to come out of China this this year, but uh, I guess not, huh? But that's that's pretty funny. Where he says he must be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, he, he is. really is. He is. I mean. <laughs> All right, Gordon, let's talk about uh, some of the jazz news today. Let's start with. Let me, uh, well, yeah, before no, go you ahead. get to that, sure. did you see, uh, you mentioned that Carl appeared on some show last night. I, I read that he uh, he was quoted as saying that. Uh, Wait, now, now, hold on. Before you do this, we are going to uh, play this at 530. Okay. For All our right. drop of the day. All right. Is it the, the Ostertag stuff or is it yes. something else? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's coming up at 530. We've got Let's that Let's save too. it then. Yeah, you'll want to you'll hear that. I've never but, heard uh, that the it's the Ostertag uh, shack slap story. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got the audio of it. But I've never heard Carl tell that story before. Have you? Uh, I, don't, I do not recall him uh, talking about that. But... You know, Greg and Carl were, despite the the, the jokes back and forth, you know, they were pretty friendly. Uh, but what Carl said about 
poster tag was fairly indicting, I'd say. And uh, it's uh, – let me say it this way. I, I don't want to spoil anything because we'll play it later. But why did nobody stick up for Greg when that happened? And why does no one stick up for him in the aftermath all these years later? Well, would you want to fight Check? No, but everybody makes fun of Ostertag. Like, somehow he deserved it. <laughs> or some such. You know, the guy gets slapped. No one steps in. It's just him looking for his contacts on the ground. You know? Where, where's, where's, the, where's the muscle? Is no one going to step up to Shaq in that situation? <laughs> nope. <laughs> if he if he had slapped John Stockton, would other jazz players have stepped in and, and roughed up, tried to, you know, tackle Shaq or something? Everyone just sort of let Ostertag take the beat beating and then he's on the ground pathetically looking for his contact lens. All right. Well, we'll get to it at 5.30. We'll play uh, Carl's comments and his version of that story. Poor Greg. And we can talk about poor Greg uh, coming up. <laughs> uh, what did you think about what Maddox had to say about Bogdanovich not returning and the impact that that would have on the Jazz? That is, you know, if we do see some playoffs uh, coming up here, Gordon, that is devastating to this Jazz roster. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the re- whole reason they... They went out and got him, was to help in those those circumstances. Uh, and now, if it, if it, the season does commence again, they're they're down a huge part of their they're down twenty points right well, out the gate. We, he was having a great season, and with a torn ligament in his wrist, I mean that's that's pretty remarkable. What would you, what do you think they'll do to the starting lineup? Just move Joe back in? Yeah. That's what I would do. That's what I would imagine. Have Royce continue to play kind of that four position, even though that doesn't really exist anymore, but maybe take the bigger guy out of the wings and uh, continue that way. It just it makes them thin. I know Joe was adjusting to coming off the bench, and that was a big story throughout the year, but that's that's a lot of production that you have to replace. And, you know, I, I think that starting lineup with Joe filling in for Bogdanovich still could be pretty effective, but that second unit is is going to take a blow. Yeah, and not only that, not only do you lose the offensive firepower, you lose the, the defensive capability that you had when you gave up what you gave up in order to get Bogdanovich. Yeah, you still don't but, have uh, that. Yeah, so Derek Favors uh, elsewhere, obviously. Yeah, they certainly could use him uh, now. And I, I do think one of the underrated stories thus far in this season, which feels weird because we haven't had a game in so long, but you know, Tony Bradley turning into a serviceable reserve big will help because I thought he played really well at times this year. But uh, there's no doubt about it that that's, that's a rough loss for this Jazz team. It, it, it you know what? It had put even more pressure on Jordan Clarkson. Yes, because uh-huh. they need a number two. They need a number two scorer, and I would think either Conley would have to step up his production big time, or Clarkson would be relied upon even more, mm-hmm. or maybe I both. Agree. You know, probably yes. the answer is. I both. think it is. I think it is a combination. And uh, you talk about the Jazz uh, once, if if the season is to proceed, then getting the group back together and then having to make that adjustment in addition to all the other adjustments that are having to be made it's it's uh, that is a tough blow for the jazz uh and I, I guess at this point we'd all we all are eager to see any kind of basketball on the floor but it certain this news is very bad for the utah jazz as far as 
any kind of chance to to make a real dent in in the postseason. I'm not saying it can't happen. It just got a little less likely. Well, it, it did, but but Mannix did say one thing too that this is going to be a separate thing. That there's been enough time between when we last had basketball and when we will again that it's it's going to feel like a separate event. And so maybe that fresh start will lessen the blow of the adjustment. Does that make sense? I mean, there's no doubt that, that losing Bogdanovich as a player, I mean, you're not going to be as good a team. But at least maybe softening the adjustment, everybody's going to have to start over, including the Jazz, and they'll have to start over without Bogdanovich. And maybe Mike Conley, like you mentioned, can step in and take a bigger uh, role offensively. And that, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. If it, if it were possible. No, it would not. In fact, I, I'm just trying to bring this up right now, just how many shots Bogdanovich was taking. He was taking uh, 14.8 shots per game, Gordon. Conley was taking 11.9 and Clarkson 12.6. So you'd think that, that those shots are going to go to those two guys mainly. Maybe a little bit more for Rudy, who was taking about eight shots a game. Joe Maybe was taking Joe. He was taking yeah. seven and a half shots per game. So... You know, maybe you up. see those numbers go up a little bit for those guys, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and will, of course, definitely. Emmanuel Moutier, who played well at uh, times this year, his role had gone down to zero. So maybe there's another body that could step in. And I, I realize that he and Bogdanovich are very different players, but at least there's somebody that is capable that you would move back into the rotation, I would think. Yeah, and this this will wet everyone's whistle as far as what the Jazz are going to look like on the restart, and then what are they going to look like next time around? Right. That's that's going to be different, too. Well, it's going to have Bogdanovich because he's going to be around for three more years after this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, I mean, I don't know about the, we're having people on Twitter ask us about the timing of the surgery and those sorts of things, and I just don't, I have no idea, and I feel like it's some, it's a bit reckless to speculate when it comes to these sorts of things. But, I mean, he but is in the long-term future of the Utah I understand Jazz. why the questions are happening. I oh, mean, I get it. But why, why after, what's it been, two months? So it, why? it has been two months, but did you know it was going to be two months at the beginning of this thing? Maybe you suspected it, but none of us knew. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. There's uncertainty involved in the whole thing, but... Well, and there's one thing that we know now. If there's going to be a season, uh, some sort of conclusion to the season, the offseason is not going to be nearly as long regardless. Although if the next season is pushed back, then I will give it more time. Yeah, but I mean, if if this season wraps up in September or August, you know, and starts back up, camp starts back up in November. Right. I mean, I that's going to be a much uh-huh. shorter offseason. I yes. mean, you'd have less time to recover from the surgery. Indeed. Yeah, I, I, that was the first question that came to my mind when I saw it is, why didn't they do this earlier? And I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the circumstances were. I don't know if there was swelling involved or whether they, he thought he could still go or or what. But uh, anyway, Well, I'll, I'll tell it. you this. I mean, I, I get those questions, but I, I think this is probably the best course of action uh, just because Bogdanovich, I mean, if you look at his career history, it is not – filled with missing games you know what i mean i mean yeah. I, I i wouldn't say i wouldn't question his toughness let me put it no, that way. and not, especially not dealing all. with this injury since the beginning of the year uh i think that that bogdanovich's desire to play is pretty proven at this point in his career and then we wondered over stretches well what was it when when the shot would go away we wondered why 
and maybe this is why. I I can't comment on it with any absolutes because I, I don't know, but I know that Donovan Mitchell was impressed with his toughness. Yeah. All right, uh, we'll have the Not Sports Report coming up right around the corner. Bowler joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Got 97.5 and 1280 the zone. Time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Announced by DJ and PK this morning at 8.50. And you'll win a zone prize pack. It's uh, the Chevy Strong Play of the Game brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. Time now for the Nod Sports Port brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? Well, we're going to a few different places, but let me start with uh, feel good, and then I'll go to the lifestyles of the rich and famous, okay? Okay. First of all, Jake, the institution for which you root and have a soft spot, Vatek, they awarded an honorary doctorate to Moose Davis. Do you know who Moose Davis is? I, I feel like I should, but I, uh, nothing's coming to mind. Well, it's not a person. It's a beloved campus therapy dog. Wow. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. Dr. Moose. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Although I've said for a variety of reasons, dogs are low on my list right now, including, you know how many uh, dog bombs I found on my front lawn uh, (laughs) mowing my grass this weekend? Three. Three. You gotta pick up your dogs. <clears throat> Come on. Yeah. Come on, be a be a, That's just bad neighboring right there. <laughs> I I would agree with that. And then a pair of uh, a 1985 pair of Air Jordans was just sold at auction for five hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Now, I don't know all the details on the shoes, but $560,000. But that pales in comparison to this story about this dude's name is, let me get the name right. It is Roman Abramovich. Do you know who that is? Uh, No. Well... He has, he owns a yacht that cost him half a billion dollars. Does he have the slip next year's? <laughs> no. No. I mean, this thing is awesome. Apparently, it's got like a uh, a missile defense system and uh, a submarine that's attached to it or something like that. Uh, I Wait, guess a you missile can... defense system? Because I've seen those yachts with the submarines. I know what you're talking about there, but why on earth would someone need a missile defense system? 
for their uh, yacht. Maybe, maybe that's, don't infringe uh, on his rights, Jake. Who who is launching missiles at random yachts? He is that ordered. A thing? He ordered it in 2010. At the time, it was the biggest private yacht in the world. But by the time the Russian billionaire finally got the keys, the extra security measures, uh, oh, uh, yeah, took the thing to over half a billion dollars. It's, it's, uh, it says in this news report, it's the most extravagant boys toy ever imagined with upgrades and maintenance taking the cost to somewhere over a half a half a billion dollars. It's five hundred and thirty three feet long. That's that's what is that? That's a little over half what the Titanic was. I mean, it, that's two football fields, right? Oh, three. Uh, yeah, two, almost two. Uh, they say that the fuel tanks hold a million liters of fuel. Uh, and that it can travel 6,000 miles before it needs to be filled again. Uh, it's got nine decks, <laughs> two helipads, and a garage. Uh, does it say where it's, um, it's in port? Because if it's in California, I think they're limiting <laughs> to uh, two people for, per boat. And they said there's not, it doesn't matter how big the boat is, that it can only have two people on it. Oh man! And every does ca- What's our every cabin has a six-foot uh, home cinema screen, a jacuzzi, spa, and security systems. Says the uh, the glass is armor-plated to repel bullets, and the vessel is protected by an anti-ballistic missile defense system installed by German experts. ASD. Wow. Does it say if it has a, a, a cell scrambler? I've heard that those yachts have their cell scramblers, so you can't like uh, take videos of whatever tawdry things are happening on the on the uh, on the yacht and sending them out. Oh, and that, really? like it's it goes like paparazzi, so if uh, it affects other boats, like in a in a certain sphere or whatever, so they can't take pictures. All I know is that uh, you wonder what the uh, mega-rich do with their money. Apparently, this is what they do. They buy half a billion dollar boats. When are you getting yours? Uh, In my dreams. But I don't even know if I would want a boat like that because that'd be a lot of responsibility, man. Can you imagine having to worry about a billion dollar boat? Pretty sure he's paying somebody else to worry about that stuff. I suppose he's worth $12 billion. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's got a little extra. Yeah, I don't think but, he's wondering what the clink from the motor room is. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, what other, I what just, other stuff do boat owners deal with, Gordon? You tell me. I don't, but I don't, think, uh, I don't think he's dealing with that. What do they say? The two best days in a boat owner's life is the day he buys it and the day he sells it? Yeah, if the bilge pump goes out in this thing, I don't think he's down there <laughs> fixing it. He's slobbing the poop deck. You should see this thing. Oh, my goodness. That thing is cool looking. I mean, it's not like I'm lusting after it or coveting it or anything like that. But, man, that would be nice to spend a weekend then. I'm sure you could could arrange it, I'm sure. (laughs) Throw a couple couple hundred gur his way. I think you could probably get on there for a weekend. I'm telling you right now, though, if it's got an uh, anti-missile system, then... uh, 
Well, what's this guy really doing? How'd he make his money if he needs an anti-missile system? He's, he's the Russian dude. I don't know. I don't know what he did. Uh, maybe Mr. Know-it-all knows. Do you know what Roman Abramovich, A-B-R-A-M-O-V-I-C-H, did to get his money? Uh, no, but I'm assuming there's a war crime or two involved here. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Something the Geneva like, Convention would frown upon. This, oh, this thing is like owning a cruise ship or something. I, oh, anyway. I, he, I thought uh, every, he owns Ch- Chelsea FC. Ah, see, I told you. Oh, that's right. He does. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, well he's got a boat. Right? It, it, why are you asking us questions about him if you have all his info up? Because I did. I, I, I see it here. But uh, anyway. Uh, a missile defense system, two helipads, a garage, and uh, and uh, just everything you could want, probably in life. I don't even. I can't even imagine what goes on in that boat. Um, uh, sunbathing? <laughs> I don't know, Gordon. What are you getting at? Just, I mean, it just reeks of worldliness. And I'm not saying that I would want it. Uh, Bowler is going to join us coming up next. Stay tuned <laughs> now, for Pat, that. I'm telling you, 6,000 miles you can go in that boat. That means you can you can cruise from here to what? South Africa? Can outrun any missile. <laughs> and a submarine. It's got a submarine. All right. I, I, well, I, I'd say it's a step up or two, or two from the Calypso. May Jacques still rest in peace. Bowler's going to join the show coming up next. Wow. I want me one of these. It is the big show, 97.5 <laughs> and 1280 The Zone.